Hello, this is Pastor Luke, and you are listening to the Living Hope Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Our mission is to grow disciples and multiply churches who will glorify God and transform communities. For more information about our church, please visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com. So we are working on a sermon series in Romans, uh, walking through it. Uh, pretty big steps. Uh, some people take uh, Romans verse by verse. We're, we're kind of going chapter by chapter, so big sections. Today we are on uh, Romans 4. I, I will confess to you that the first time I read Romans 4, I thought, okay, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I'm not sure what to do with this or what this all means and that kind of thing. And I still felt that way on readings 5, 6, and 7, and, and probably 8. Um, but there is uh, some good stuff in here and, and kind of kept pressing on. And uh, I'm excited to, to share some of this stuff with you. You know, as just kind of a reminder, Romans is written by a guy named Paul. He's a missionary. He's a church planter. And uh, most of the New Testament is written by Paul. But at one point in his ministry, he had wanted to go visit Rome, both for ministry there, but it also appears that he wanted to use that as a launching point to keep going west and eventually do some ministry out in Spain. And so he sends a letter kind of ahead of himself. He's not been there yet, but there is a church established in Rome. And so he sends this letter, and in this letter he introduces himself, and and then he he really proceeds to, to outline... Um, the, the gospel in, in all of its fullness. I mean, many consider Romans to be Paul's, um, like his masterpiece, his most thorough, his most insightful, most brilliant, most uh, comprehensive, complete writing on what is the gospel and, and how does salvation work and, and what do we make of the Old Testament and its laws, and but then the New Testament and its emphasis on grace and, and faith and how it approaches salvation, and, and even, you know, what, do the Israelites still have some kind of significant role or, or standing before the Lord? How, how does that work? And I now believe that when our, our kind of spiritual forefathers were assembling and, and organizing the Scripture, that they very intentionally placed Romans... Uh, really kind of at the beginning, right? We have four accounts on the life of Jesus. We call those the Gospels. And then we have really kind of a, a biography of the early church or, or the Holy Spirit. And we call that the Book of Acts. And then we have all these letters that are written to different people and different churches. And I now think that they were very intentional to put Romans at the beginning of that. Because if, if you can understand Romans, it will help you so much in understanding all the other letters and, and what they were trying to say and what they were trying to convey and that kind of thing. So I, I do believe that, that its positioning is significant in Scripture. One of the terms that we are going to be working with a lot is justified. And just to review that term to kind of make sure that, that we're all on the same page on that one, you know, typically in, in our... Uh, discussion about spirituality, we will often use the word salvation. Good word, um, perhaps at times a, a broad word. Um, justification, perhaps a more specific term. Justified justification uh, back then was a legal term. Paul borrowed this from the courts, uh, from the courtroom, and it means pronounced free. It, it, it's a one-time event. It is, it is the presidential pardon that's good for your past and, and your future. Um, you, I mean, you still will need to work on character development and maturity and that kind of thing, and that's 
a part of it too, but, but that comes later. Justification is that, that singular moment in time where you are pronounced free, where you are pronounced, uh, your debt is pronounced paid. It's done, it's over, and we're not going to talk about this again. It's done, it's over. And so that, so just when we, we're going to be using that word a fair bit. If you feel comfortable writing in your Bible, uh, some people don't for, for really great reasons, but for some, some people do, let me just give you a couple words to, to highlight in, in Romans 4, uh, just kind of as notes for when you read this again in a couple months or a couple years or, or that kind of thing, and kind of following the, the theme of, of what we're going to be looking at today. Um, in, um, and this might vary a little bit on translation, but um, in verse 5, uh, we find uh, the word faith, and I would encourage you to underline the word faith. It's going to appear a couple times, but, but I know it's in verse 5. Underline the word faith, but then go back to verse 2 and find the word works and cross it out. Not because we're wanting to delete scripture, but that's a little bit reminder that in this section, Paul is telling us that it is by faith, not works. So that's just kind of your little reminder. The emphasis here is that we do this by faith, not works. So if you want to cross out works or do something like that. Verse 16, that's going to be our next section. Um, You're going to find the word grace. I would encourage you to underline the word grace. And then if you go back to verse 13, you'll find the word law. Cross out the word law. Because it is by grace, not the law. And if you have a different translation, you may have to hunt around. In verse 21 um, is the word, and I'm just kind of double-checking here. Um, oh, okay, this is probably going to be NIV, um, the word power. And then you can cross out in verse... You can do one of two things, either one in verse 20, cross out unbelief, or, or actually just write in the, in the margins human strength, because I, I believe that in this third section, Paul is contrasting that this is done by God's resurrection power, not by human strength. And so we're, we're trying to contrast um, God's power versus human strength. Beginning in verse 4, chapter 4. Let me tell you what I'm about to tell you. Let me, let me tell you what I'm about to, to read to you. Paul is making the argument that we are justified, that we are saved, that, and, but that we are justified by faith, not by works. To prove this point, Paul is going to highlight two characters of the Old Testament. Now, they're significant to us. They're incredibly significant to, to the Jewish population that have been part of a, on the receiving end of this. But to prove his point, Paul is going to um, draw an illustration from Abraham and from David. Um, and, and a reminder, uh, you know, the, for the Jewish audience, they, they would have been very convinced that they would have been saved, that they would have been justified by works, or perhaps even by nationality, just simply by, doing, by, by being Jewish. They had favor with God, and Paul is, is writing against that. And so this, for the audience, this is probably going to land pretty hard, like probably even kind of offensive, because he's rattling their, their whole understanding of how we are justified. So in this first part, Paul is going to write, and he's going to say that Abraham was justified 
not by works, but by believing. So let me, let me read that part to you. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, if, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about, but not before God, and the idea being that he never would have had works good enough to boast before God. Verse 3, what does Scripture say? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are credited to him as a gift, not as a gift, but as an obligation. Meaning, you know, you go work from 8 to 5, you get paid, like your employer owes that to you. Verse 5, however, to the man who does not work but trusts God, who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So here's the thing on salvation. We, you know, kind of, there's kind of two major worldviews on how salvation works. Either salvation is a reward to you for, for what you did, or it is a gift, unachievable for you, it is a gift through grace. But it cannot be both. It's got to be one or the other. Two major worldviews. Salvation is either something you earn, and it's a reward, or it's beyond you, and so it is a gift. In verse 5, we read that God, that God justifies us through faith and not works. Uh, the Jews thought that um, God justified people on the basis of their works, and Paul is proving that even Father Abraham, right? I mean, father of the Jewish people, he was saved on the basis of faith. Big statement here. It's kind of, it, it sort of gets lost sometimes if you skim over it. Big statement for us, huge statement for, for, the, for the Jewish population, but just this idea that justification is, is a free gift. Now I'm going to read the, the section to you on David. And again, let me kind of tell you what I'm, what I'm about to tell you on David. Um, some of you are going to be very familiar with the history on David. David was a king of Israel. Uh, he was a remarkable musician. He was a remarkable warrior. Uh, he was very wise. He was king of Israel for a long time, um, dearly beloved by the people. And just even going on, I mean, people would look back on David, and he was just kind of like this, almost like idyllic, you know, kind of like the perfect king back in the day. And so um, just very well, well favored. He did a lot of things right. Um, he did have some failings, though, just as a father and, and as, a, as a husband, but yet Scripture is clear to note that David was a man who loved God and ultimately desired to do what was right before God. So Paul mentions David. Then he quotes the first two verses of Psalm 32 as part of his proof that we are saved by faith, not by works. Psalm 32. Let me unpack Psalm 32, right? Later on in David's life, he gets sloppy with his, his personal life. He has an affair with a married woman. She gets pregnant. The husband is a soldier, so to um, cover up what's going on, David has her husband, you know, sent to this dangerous part of the battle where he's accidentally killed in battle. David marries the widow um, that, you know, he just had an affair with. And then when the child is born, you just hope everyone is bad at math. Okay? That's, that's the plan. That's what's going on. God knows all of this. God has seen all of this. He, he knows what has happened. God sends a prophet to confront David 
David is just completely shattered and broken. He repents. There are long-term effects that are, are messy, and, and lots of people get hurt, and it's just, it's messy. But eventually, David makes peace with God and finds forgiveness with God. So, it is believed that right after David got busted by the prophet, he goes and he writes Psalm 51. And you go through and you read it, and you're like, that sounds like a man who just got busted for adultery and murder. But it's believed, though, that after some time has passed, he's done some reflection, he, he has worked through God's forgiveness, then he writes Psalm 32. Let me read to you the first six verses out of Psalm 32, and just see if this sounds like a man who has worked through forgiveness after creating some pretty significant sin in his life. Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit, so in the man's spirit, and in that man's spirit there is no deceit meaning he's just laid everything before God. He's not holding anything back anymore. It's just, it's all out before God. Verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So that's Psalm 32. That's what Paul is going to quote from in his argument that we are saved by faith and by God's grace and by forgiveness, not by works. Because if we are saved by works, then David, after having committed all these, was in a bad spot. Like th those sins he could have been executed for by, by law of the day, right? So he references back when David is in a bad spot, and yet David still finds forgiveness. Um, verse 6. This is Paul writing now. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Right? Because David's works had just been adultery and murder. And then he quotes, Blessed are the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will never count against him. If, like I said, if our, if our righteousness, if our justification is determined by works, then David is in a bad spot, right? Adultery, murder, cover-up. Um, and yet David is considered righteous and forgiven, right? And, and even, even today he has this place of respect and on, on honor, amongst the ancestors of Israel. And the only reason that's doable is because we are justified by faith, not works. Okay, so that was the first section, right, where we're, we're contrasting faith, not by works. Next section, contrasting grace versus the law. So this is verses 9 to 17. Um, Again, the, the Jews and, and even a, a lot of other people believe that justification came through obeying the law or possibly just by nationality. Uh, uh, Paul is arguing it's neither. We're justified by grace, free gift that he offers us, nothing that we can earn through, through good behavior, impossible 
for us to, um, uh, uh, to earn it. Also, a reminder on, on this section, because this is going to come up, um, the Jew- for the Jewish people, circumcision was a physical sign, a, an outward uh, sign that you were part of God's chosen people. And so they had really developed this strong association around circumcision and being the people of God, all right, or being favored towards God. And so Paul is going to go back to Abraham again, and he's going to contrast grace with uh, kind of the law and, and circumcision. So verse 9. Is this blessedness only for the circumcised? Okay, that's the Jewish people. Or also for the uncircumcised, which is like the rest of the world, the Gentiles. We have been saying that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. But under what circumstances was it credited? Was it after his circumcision or before? It was not after, but before. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Now let me interject here a little bit. Some wise scholar went back to the Old Testament, crunched the numbers, and they said, actually, if you look at kind of the time of faith and when... Abraham received the actual sign of circumcision. It's 14 years. So a lot of time has passed, right? Um, A lot of time has passed. That's not a lot of time for some of you, but it's still a lot of time. Uh, Carrying on. So then, he is the father of all who believe, but have not been circumcised. That's the Gentiles. That's the rest of the world. In order that righteousness might be credited to them. And he is also the father of the circumcised. So that's the Jewish people who not only are circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps of the faith of our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who live by law are heirs, father, uh, faith has no value and the promise is worthless because law brings Wrath, I'm going to come back to that. Law brings wrath. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace, that's our word, grace, and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, the Jewish people, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. I don't know if you guys remember that song, like, you know, Father Abraham had many sons, many, you know, and then you, like, just wave body parts and dance around and, and that kind of thing. Um, kind of a quirky song. I don't know if anyone sings that anymore. Real hit when I was a kid. Uh, but the big idea is that fa- Abraham is not just the father uh, physically of the Jewish people. Spiritually, he is the father of, of all of us. Uh, Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom we believed, um, the God who gives life to the dead and calls all things that are not as though they were. Right? So, uh, Paul is saying that Abraham is justified when he believed and not when he was circumcised. As we said, those those are are 14 years apart. Um, For them, circumcision was kind of the ritual or the symbolism of being set apart. Really, for us today, it would be baptism. That would be our, kind of our ritual, our, 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 our symbolism that we are a people of God, is that when we, when we go through the, um, when we get baptism, and baptism occurs after salvation, right? I mean, we don't, we don't put our salvation hope in baptism. We just say that's, 
That's something we do as an outward sign. Paul has this thing, the law brings wrath. Uh, That was verse 15. You see that in other writings, like the law brings death or the the law brings wrath. And it seems kind of like an odd thing, like, why, like, wouldn't wouldn't the law have been a a good thing? Um, When I was, this was a long time ago, I, I don't know, maybe I was in high school, maybe college, uh, we were at a friend's place, and Dad is uh, helping with the dishes, right? We were kind of in the living room. Dad's, uh, you know, kind of cleaning off the kitchen counter, putting stuff in the dishwasher, that kind of deal. He's not looking, and their toddler comes up and grabs the, the box of powdered dish detergent and just dumps it all. Uh, you know, like there's that wee little, you know, spot for, you know, and the kid just dumps all of it, you know, on, on, on the thing. The parents recognized that it was wrong, but that it was well-intentioned, right? So it was fascinating because they were actually very gentle with her, with the toddler. You know, thank you for your efforts. Thanks for helping daddy. We'll clean this up. Go do whatever else. That kind of thing. Incredibly gentle with her, even though she made a mess. And, you know, it was just now dad had to clean it up. If the child had been like 15 and done that, right, and knew how to properly load the dishwasher, right, but still dumped out the entire box of dish detergent and flung it in the living room, right, the consequences are far far more extreme because the older child knows the law. The older child knows how it's supposed to be done. The, the older child has awareness of sin and wrongdoing, and if they do it anyways, then the consequences are much more severe. Because the Israelites had the law, they knew what good and holy living looked like because of the law. But this also made them more guilty because when they broke it, they knew better. They knew better. They, they had the law. They, they knew that that never should have happened. The law does not save you. It simply informs you of how bad of a sinner you are. And it really raises the stakes on on the consequences. Last section, uh, verses 18 to 25. Um, Paul is contrasting God's resurrection power with, with human effort. And... Once again, using Abraham, the example that he's going to give is that Abraham, his wife Sarah, they had no kids of their own, right? They're in like their 80s or their 90s. God shows up. He says, you're going to have a kid, and then that kid is going to have more kids, and like someday your descendants, like there's going to be millions and millions of them, and it's going to be like the stars in the sky and the sand on the beach and just a whole bunch of them, and... But Abraham and Sarah are old, and so they fully recognize that this is ridiculous. Like, just straight-up ridiculous. Um, And biologically speaking, it was ridiculous. Just for fun, I googled, you know, oldest recorded mom who had a baby, and it's some lady just shy of 67, and it was in vitro fertilization, and, you know, and so, and that's tracking millions and millions of people and moms and that kind of thing, right? No one comes close to Sarah, age 90, having a baby. Nope, not even... No one gets close to that. Paul uses that as an example to say that we are justified by God's resurrection power, not human effort, not human power. Simply beyond what you can do. Verse 18. Against all hope, 
Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. If you are trusting in your own power to be reconciled with God, it will never happen. Like, just, nope, not going to happen. Abraham heard the promise. He, he trusted that God was being honest, that he would do it. He gave God the, the credit, ultimately received the blessing. Great analogy of how salvation and how justification works. And the sooner we realize that we cannot save ourselves, the better off we will be, right? We just, we have to come to grips with that. Let me give you a, just kind of a couple of mistakes um, that, that they made that it kind of in, in modern day uh, things to just kind of be aware of. So um, the first one, obviously, is that they got fixated on the external, not on the internal. Um, Abraham was justified by faith in God, uh, and yet they were fixated on works. And so uh, Abraham is justified by faith. Um, and so, you know, for us, like, what does that look like? Uh, something like church attendance is an easy one to name. I, we, sometimes that kind of gets picked on a little bit, but it does happen where someone thinks that, well, I attend church every Sunday. I'm a pretty good person, um, and that's all I need to do. I'm good. Like, I clock in my hour, and, uh, you know, we're, I'm, I'm good with God. For some people, they will go even more extreme, and they'll say, you know what? I live in a Christian country. Christian country, however you want to argue that one, Christian country. So, I'm Christian, so I'm good with God. Um, some people, honestly, I think they just don't even know what religion to associate with. They're like, well, I'm not a Muslim, and I'm not a Buddhist, so I, well, I guess I'm a Christian, right? And so, so there's all of this faith that is placed in these external things. Like, well, I'm not this, so I must be Christian, or I live in America, so I must be Christian. And that's where all the faith is. It's um, for people uh, like in, in Christian ministry or, or where ministry is a profession. Uh, I think sometimes those people can get so focused on either their gifting or their, uh, you know, if you're charismatic, you know, and their anointing or perhaps just their leadership skills or their worship skills or their, their communication skills that they get so fixated on that skill or that gifting on that external thing that they lose sight of the, of the internal. Um, so our justification is by faith, not works. Secondly, making the mistake of, of thinking that I have enough strength to do this on my own. No. You don't. You're welcome. Um, so many religions out there will, will try to tell you, you know, that you have to earn favor with God. doesn't work that way. Uh, we are justified because God has freely given it to us. Uh, and not out of obligation, but just out of his character. We are justified by faith, not works. We are justified by grace, not the law. Um, and the third thing, the third mistake, is believing that you have to be good to be justified or to be reconciled uh, by God. So, 
Um, I have membership at a gym. I, it works for me. I like it. It's, it's class format. Um, we have an instructor. He's good. He's trained on these things and different programming, and he figures it all out, and there's a strategy to it. And my responsibility is just to show up consistently, survive the hour, come back tomorrow, right? He does the rest. Show, and that might be a whole sermon right there. Show up consistently, survive the hour, come back tomorrow, okay? He takes care of, of everything else. On occasion, it's interesting because someone will say, well, I'm interested in joining the gym, but for, for some reason they, they don't want to. And, and so then they will say, but I want to get in shape before I join the gym. No, like it just, like, it, like that, I mean, for starters, there's all different kinds of conditioning, and you may not even be doing the right one uh, in accordance with what he's doing. You join the gym, and then you work on getting in shape, right? Someone may say, well, like, I, I need to get a few things straightened out in my personal life before I before I give my life to Christ, before I start attending church, before I help out with something, before I, I have a spiritual conversation with someone. No, like you're just, you're getting it backwards. Like you, there's no need to do that. Come to Jesus as you are. Like that's just, like as you are, and like we'll deal with the rest later on, okay? Just come to Jesus Survive the hour, come back tomorrow. You know, like, that's just, just come as you are. Our justification is by faith, not works. Our justification is by grace, not law. And our justification is by his resurrection power, not our human effort. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll sing again. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and for the truth and for its continued relevance. And Lord, these are important messages that our world needs to hear. And so I ask for opportunity to to share these messages uh, with others. Lord, I pray that you would help us to just understand them more deeply and where they would just become just embedded in our soul and our mind and that um, we would be able to converse about them freely, um, just in both in understanding them and, and in also just sharing them with others. And uh, so we thank you for that. And God, we thank you so much that that we are justified by your power and not ours, and that we don't have to earn it, and that this is a gift from you. Lord, we fully recognize that that justification before you is simply beyond us. And uh, so we are so thankful, so thankful for this, um, this, this almost presidential pardon that you make available to us. We worship you and we love you. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you were enriched and encouraged. If you have any questions about Christ or church or would like more information, visit our website at livinghopehenderson.com or email me directly at luke at livinghopehenderson.com. We hope you have a fantastic week. Take care and God bless.